listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. This morning, we're going to go to John chapter 8. And here's what we're going to do. John chapter 8, where we're going to look at 12 through 38, is four sections. Not going to have time to go over them all, so I'm going to summarize the first one and the last two, and then we're going to kind of dive a little deeper in the verses that will begin in verse 30. So John chapter 8, if you pick up, here's where we left off in verse 12. I'm going to back up right there. It says, And Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So remember the setting. It's the Feast of Booths. It's the last night of the festival. In the evening, these huge uh, candles, uh, lights would be lit in the temple. And everything is dark, but the temple at night would be glowing with these massive lights. And Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Well, then in verse 13, this doesn't set well. It says, so the Pharisees, the, the Jews said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So they say, hold on, not so fast. You can't claim that about yourself. You can't say anything unless there is a witness that can back up what you say. Well, Jesus turns to them in verse 14 and says, even if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. He says, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. For in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. If, I'm, if I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So Jesus says, okay, well, how about God the Father? Is that good enough? I'm going to say it, and he is going to back it up that this is my witness is Yahweh. Well, in verse 19, they said to him, therefore, well, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So God is working his plan. Notice they're ready to move forward, but it's not quite the time. But what they don't realize is that they are only a few months away from crucifying this man on the cross. Well, in verse 21, it continues. And he said, so he said to them, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, notice what they're wondering. They begin talking like a crazy person. Will he kill himself since he says I, where I'm going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below, but I am from above. You were of this world, but I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sin, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die 
in your sins. And so Jesus is laying out his plan of salvation. But notice they're refusing. They cannot accept that they are sinners in need of what Jesus is bringing. So in 25, they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him, meaning I'm communicating only what God the Father tells me. They did not understand that he'd been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I can do nothing on my own authority. But just speaking as the Father has taught me. And he said to me, and sent the one who sent me, He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. As he was saying these things, notice they believed in him. Hold on to that. But I want to show you a couple of things about what Jesus is doing here. Some claims he's making. First of all, he is boldly making some claims about himself. I am the light of the world. I only and always do the will of my Father. He's from above, not from this world. He's claiming that he is the solution to their sin. That he is the salvation. But then he says, hey, I do not come to judge. And how many times have we seen that just in the past couple of weeks, but he comes, but didn't he just say twice that I do come to judge? So hold on, what does he mean? How can Jesus say, hey, I don't come to judge, but look at verse 16, for if I do judge, I don't come to judge, but in verse 26, I have much to say and to judge. So which is true? Does he come to judge or does he not? Well, there's two ways to look at this. One is the act of judging. And Jesus has said, I have not come to judge. We know that one day he will, and he will judge all sin. And if that's what Jesus came for, no one would have hope, and everyone would die in their sin, because he's yet to go to the cross. But there's another way that judging happens. There's the act of judging, and then there is the result of judging. Because each encounter with Jesus People are faced with a moment of truth. When Jesus came, what did he have to do? Jesus comes and he exposes sin. And when that happens, people should see their need. But when they refuse that, then judgment is happening. They are bringing about their own judgment by refusing and rejecting the salvation that Jesus can bring. So Jesus didn't come to judge. He came to offer salvation, but his very coming produces judgment. And we're going to talk about that in great detail next week. The next thing he's telling them is all about his march to the cross. He says it in verse 24. In verse 28, he doesn't mix word. He says, if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. And then the great news in verse 30 Notice how it ends. It says, many believed. Man, we're thinking, man, this is absolutely wonderful. They're hearing the gospel. They're believing what Jesus is going to do. So verse 31 tells us that the rest of the chapter, guess who he's talking to? To those Jews. 
But I just want to give you a recap. I want to kind of look at the next verses. Those that have believed, this is what he says to them. Verse 40, but you're going to seek to kill me. They had to be thinking, wait, hold on. Man, that's not going to be us. In verse 44, notice what he calls them. He tells them, your father is the devil. Now, I'd be a little concerned at that point. Verse 45, he says, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe. But didn't in verse 30, he just said that they did believe? In verse 47, he says, the reason you do not hear is that you're not of God. So the last section of this, Jesus lays it all out on the table. This group is standing there that had believed. And look at verse 48. They look at him and they say, you're either a Samaritan or you have a demon. So what has happened when in verse 30 they believe, you get to verse 48 and they think he's either a Samaritan or he has a demon. So what has taken place? What is it that he says from verses 46 to 49, and then he pushes them over the edge? Verse 30, they believe. Then look at 56. He tells them, your father Abraham rejoiced when he saw my day. And he saw it, and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, wait, wait, wait. You're only not even 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham They're thinking, that's been 2,000 years. There's no way that you know Abraham. But in verse 58, it's the final straw. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Notice Jesus doesn't say, before Abraham was, I was. He chooses his words, and John records them carefully. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Am. Their minds would immediately have gone back to Exodus 3, where Moses is standing before the burning bush, and Moses asks, Who do I say sent me? And what did God say? I am who I am. So Jesus is not just saying, Oh, yeah, I know Abraham, but he's saying, I was even here before he was. And what Jesus is showing is his transcendence over time. And there's only one person they know that that could be true of. That could only be true of God. And in that moment, they realize that Jesus himself is claiming to be God. And they don't have a category for this because notice what they do in verse 59. They pick up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and he went out of the temple. What a strange turn of events. In verse 30, they believed. In verse 59, they're ready to stone him. So how does that happen? How do you go from belief to stoning? How does a group end up going along that journey? Well, here's the obvious answer. The obvious answer is, we would read this and say, well, they genuinely didn't have faith. It would, maybe it began, but it really never took hold that it wasn't a genuine faith. So here's the questions I want us to ask and to answer. Then how do you know if your faith is genuine? How do you know if your faith is real? I mean, if you've ever questioned your faith or you've ever wondered 
I mean, do I believe? Or if you ever wondered, man, is my faith, what if it's not strong enough? Or how do I know my faith is strong enough and I won't fall away like those people did? And I tell you, that was my journey. Man, I thought I had faith and things would happen and it would seem like I didn't have enough. Well, this morning is for us because the great news is that John records Jesus' words and Jesus gives the answer to all of these. So now look back at verse 31. He's right in the middle. He shows them the answer to how you go from believing to stoning and for that not to happen. In verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed. Remember, John loves that word. He uses that word, pastuo, more than any other gospel writer. And if you remember, that word pastuo is the verb form of faith. Problem is, our English language doesn't have a verb for faith. So he uses, we translate it, the word belief. So here's some important things that we have to know about belief. One is there is this varying degree of faith. We can say we believe in something, and that's one degree. But there is another faith, another belief, that calls that faith into action. Because you could say, you know what? I believe this giant hunk of metal can take me from Dallas, Texas, all the way to Barcelona. It's another thing to actually get on that plane and trust that it's going to carry you there. But here's another thing about belief. Belief is not the end of something, as if we have arrived. Belief is the beginning. That belief is not the end, it is only the beginning. And we're going to talk about that. But here's the third thing. Belief is sometimes hard to know exactly when it begins. For some of you, you know the exact date and time and place that your belief, your faith began. You can name, you can probably remember what you were wearing. But for some of us, we don't know as many details. Man, we might kind of know, well, I think I was about this old. Or, man, I can remember being, you know, at grandma's house. Or there's certain things we can remember, but we can't remember all the details. But some of us might be even wondering, man, has it even began with us? Well, here's a great way, I think, to think about this idea of belief and to relate it to the idea of love. I found a guy named Henry Longfellow. He died in 1882, an American poet and educator. And this is what he says about love, and I think this relates. It is difficult to know what moment love begins. It is less difficult to know that it had begun. So for me, Marla and I, we started dating in the spring of 1990. We were sophomores in high school. We were married four years later uh, in 1994. And I know this may surprise some of you, but men in high school, I was cool. And I was hip. And I had it all together. But let me tell you about the first time I met Marla. A friend of mine said, hey, there's this girl, Marla Bishop. You need to meet her. I think y'all would hit it off. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, man. You know, I'm that way. And so the bell rings, and I grab my backpack, and I'm walking down the hallway, and, man, crowds are going by. I knew who she was. Came walking by, and all of a sudden this girl says, hello. What did I do? 
I just kept on walking. I was so nervous that this girl spoke to me. And I went back and I thought, oh no, I've just blown it. You know, she'll no longer speak to me again, but thank goodness she did. So over the years, over the months, over the weeks, we began spending time together. And you know, I don't remember that moment that it was like, boom, I knew I was in love. But I could look back and I could see that I knew I did love her. I couldn't tell you exactly when it was. I don't remember an exact moment that I knew, boom, and that's where love began. But as I look back, I knew that it had begun. And sometimes, I think belief is like that. Sometimes it's difficult to know the exact moment that belief begins, but it's less difficult to know that it has begun. So how can we know? How do we know then that belief has begun? And if it has, then what do we do from that point? Well, the good news is John gives it to us in the next part of that verse. He says, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples. And so I love the women's event. It's a week from Thursday. That's what they're talking about. John chapter 15. But he first uses the word right here in chapter 8. And here's what is fascinating about this word. It has two aspects. It means to know something and then to live something. And that's really John's picture of pistuo or faith. It's to know and to live. And what is he saying we should know and we should obey? It's to know his word. So it's to know God's word and to obey God's word. That true belief or faith, it begins with knowing his word and then obeying it. Remember, belief is not the end of something. As if we've arrived, it's only the beginning. Meaning, for true believers, it is a constant and a continuing of learning and obeying. Learning and obeying. Learning and obeying. So think back to that example of Marla and I. I know my love began for her at some point. I don't remember when. But when I look back, I know that it had begun. Well, think about that relationship if we fell in love whenever that was. And we knew we were in love. But at that point, I just stopped learning things about her. I stopped obeying the command of how I am to love her. We get married and I thought, all right, that's it. Man, I've arrived. Thinking of all the things I would have missed out on getting to know about her. Think of all the things that I would learn about myself and obeying God's command to each and every day love her. And I think that's how belief is. It's constant learning and obeying, learning and obeying. But the Jews, they received some knowledge in verse 30. It tells us they believed, but they did not abide. So we have to go, why is that? Why did they not continue in that? Well, the Jews had a problem. But it's the same problem that we even have today. The problem is that we want the Bible to validate what we already think and feel. I mean, we love sermons, and we love podcasts, and and we love Bible studies, and we love to read Scripture that agrees with how we think. We want our opinions and our beliefs validated. And this is what was happening with these Jews. When Jesus was teaching, they were fine as long as it validated what they already thought in what they already felt. But the moment it challenged those beliefs, they were ready to pick up stones to remove that. So instead, we should constantly be rethinking things. 
We should regularly be thinking and having our thinking challenged. I think that's how God changes us. I think that's how we grow. That's, that's how we abide. So we should continue in our knowledge of God's word. But listen, that's the easy part. It's then holding up our lives to Scripture and evaluating our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions. Because here's the truth. Jesus isn't changing the Bible's teaching to validate what we want to hear. He's affirming what's always been the clear message. But genuine believers are marked by a commitment to His Word. And then we examine everything that we do. Our marriages, our parenting, and our finances, our business, and our jobs according to His Word. John says that is abiding. So we know we have genuine faith if we can look back and see abiding an ever-growing, ever-progressing belief. Now here's the greatest part. Notice what you get in return. In verse 32, if you abide, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So here's the litmus test. The result of a growing freedom. When you look at your life and then you look at God's word, do you see the things you are doing? Do you see God's word as stifling or oppressing to how you're living? Or does it bring you freedom? It should bring us, it tells us, more and more freedom. And look at the freedom he is talking about. And they answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will be free? But Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the home forever. The son remains forever. So the first and foremost, when faith begins and we abide, we experience freedom from sin. When we believe and then we abide, we have freedom to rise above sin. The freedom to choose right, to choose the best, to please Him. But I know I was thinking this when I was studying this. What about those moments in my life where I think belief began, but then I just continued to sin? And then I even found myself committing the same sin over and over again. Does that mean I'm not a true believer? And I would say not necessarily. But I think it is a chance to stop and evaluate our lives. To take that before the Lord, to confess it, and then to ask for the strength to stop. And I do believe that true believers, they can have dry spells and difficult time with sins throughout their life. But over the long haul, what happens is that God will work in us and give us the desire to hold to His Word, the ability to see Christ in it, and then to live in the freedom that comes from that. So first of all, it's a freedom from sin that we don't have to continue down that road. But there's even more freedom. In verse 36, he says, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. They're a threat. I speak of what I've seen with my father, 
And you do, uh, do you have heard from him? So it's freedom that leads to more freedom that leads to more freedom. So I thought about our lives, thinking about what would that look like? Freedom to live boldly without living in fear. I mean, I don't have to worry about messing this thing up anymore. I can live boldly and not be afraid of seeming crazy. Freedom to live not feeling like I have to prove myself. That I have to keep doing things to make people like me. I can be free from that. Freedom to not live for myself, but to live for others. Freedom to live the life that I was created to live. Freedom from having to live up to God's word in my own strength. Freedom to see who we are in Christ and to live that out. Not what others have to say about us. So when we abide, when we know and we obey, he says you will discover freedom. And guess what that freedom leads to? More and more freedom. So this morning, one of two words. One of two words will describe you and me this morning. You're either bound or you're free. Perhaps you've never entered into that initial freedom of being delivered from sin. Or maybe you know someone that is in that. Man, they need to know, you need to know that that initial deliverance comes from acknowledging our bondage and the power of Jesus Christ to deliver us. And the Jews, they refuse to see that. And we repent of our sins and we turn to faith in Jesus. Others of us, maybe we find that yes, I believe I have begun that journey, but it doesn't seem like I'm experiencing much freedom. Because you know what happens? We can become kind of desensitized to things. I was talking to Jordy this past week, and he said, you know what? There's not a lot of believers in Spain, but the ones that are, are in heart and soul. I thought, man, we're kind of just the opposite. I mean, everybody thinks they're a believer in the United States, it seems like. But we have fewer and fewer that seem to be all in for the gospel. What we need to know. Is that maybe we need to think. Maybe I haven't been abiding in God's word. And following his commands. And experiencing more and more freedom. Then our call is by faith. That we're enabled to turn back to him. And become people of, him, of his word. So ask yourself this this morning. As we close. Has faith began for you? If not. I pray you would turn to Jesus even this morning and ask him to give you the faith to believe. If belief has begun, are you abiding in him? Are you continuing to learn and to obey? If belief has become, if you were to be honest and to hold your life up to the truth of God's word, is there an area that you know you need more of God's grace to transform it more and more? Would you turn to him this morning and ask for the freedom that he can give you that only he can? But here's been my prayer. Let us not be satisfied with our belief and to always be abiding so that we can experience more and more freedom. Because don't forget, belief, it isn't the end. As if we've arrived at something, it is only the beginning. Let us pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. 
Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.